Hi, and welcome to Three Worlds Podcast number 12. It's been ages and ages and ages since I've done a podcast, and uh, I do apologise about that. I mean, what can I say, really, except I'm ever so sorry it's been such a long time. But it has. Um, It's been summer here. Well, kind of. I mean, it's been wet but slightly warmer than the winter and uh, I've uh, got another issue of the magazine out, uh, issue 57 which came out about three weeks ago or something thereabouts. These podcasts will continue to happen but my plan was that I would do one about every two weeks and that's obviously completely failed Uh, partially because I'm just too busy getting the magazine together really so I'm going to try and aim at one every month, which is actually how it's averaged out at the last sort of uh, over the last year. We started in September last year, and it's September this year, and this is episode twelve. So, hey, I can do maths. <laughs> um, so, uh, my partner Jan has retired from the magazine now, so it's kind of all in my lap. So I have a little bit less time, which is part of the reason why I haven't done one in the last three months or so. But please don't unsubscribe. We're going to be continuing to do the podcast. So I think perhaps now is a good time to uh, listen to the interview that I did with Karen. Now, this was recorded uh, on a uh, mini disc recorder outside at the conference. Uh, We actually had a hot afternoon and Karen and I... Uh, sort of skived off from a session and we sat in the courtyard of the centre where we were and we drank several cups of coffee and recorded a really rather wonderful interview which didn't record. (laughs) So uh, we then pretended that we hadn't recorded it and we recorded it again and this one did. So I want to say a huge thanks to Karen for having the patience to sit there and be interviewed twice and pretending the second time that I hadn't actually interviewed her the first time and it wasn't a repeat. Oh, isn't technology wonderful when it doesn't work? Anyway, this is, uh, so this is not quite the same quality as my normal podcasts. And in fact, this little bit isn't either. Um, I'm doing this for speed. I'm just simply plugging a microphone into my Apple Mac computer rather than recording it in my recording studio. So it's not quite the same clarity, but um, it's good enough for now. And uh, it's a lot easier for me because I can actually see it recording on the screen in front of me as I speak. And I shall then go back through and edit, 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 edit all the the, the (coughs) coffee and bits where I go wrong and things like that. So uh, without further ado, here is the interview with Karen. So I'm joined by Karen Kelly, and uh, Karen does a practice called Side, which is uh, Viking, yeah? Yes, it's a Norse or Viking shamanic practice. Okay. Um, It's pretty well um, written about in some of the Viking sagas. Okay. Um, And it, it encompasses a whole range of different, if you like, like any shamanic tradition. Okay. I think calling it a, calling it a practice is probably better to call it a tradition. All right. In uh, the same way that perhaps medicine work is a tradition, right. I would say side is a tradition okay. that brings together a whole range of different practices. And I guess it would have been practiced across the whole of the sort of Viking world, which really stretched right into Russia and I guess even potentially across into North America, into, into Vinland. Yeah, there are stories of um, 
uh, size or of, or of um, female singing seeresses. Right. Um, from all the way from, there's a really early uh, Roman story of, of uh, such seeresses on the Danube. Okay, yeah. Um, right across to, uh, obviously, Scandinavia, uh, Iceland and Greenland. And in fact, in Eric the Red Saga, they talk very clearly about uh, a vulva, which is what these seeresses right. are called. Um, and uh, Eric the Red Saga is the same saga that talks about the founding of Finland. Okay, and that was, Finland, so. what, 12th century, 13th century? Yeah, it was 13th century, so it's right at the end of the, the if you like, the pagan period. Okay, when they were the becoming Christianized. So very yeah. much so, yeah. um, and in fact, when, um, to be honest, Norway, Britain were long Christian, um, and it was only the kind of outposts of... Iceland and Greenland that still had this mixed pagan okay. and Christian community. But this would have been practiced in Britain, so it's something that we can look on in, in these islands as, as as a definite shamanic tradition from these this place, even though it was brought over by the Viking invaders. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, in, in fact, probably you know one of the most famous practitioners of of, of side or says um, was a woman called um, Gunhilda, who was the wife of Eric Bloodaxe, the Queen of York. In fact, the famous Queen of York. If you go to York, there's lots of uh, stuff about Eric right, Bloodaxe. Right, because York was a major Viking city. Jorvik? Jorvik. And uh, she was also, um, her husband was also um, various times King of Norway. Right. And uh, there's lots of stories of, of her doing different forms of sayth from... Um, sort of doing magic on people to um, being able to shapeshift and indeed that's one of the common practices within the safe tradition right. is um, hamrung which is shapeshifting. Okay, what, what did you call it? Hamrun, I think. Hamrun. Um, and um, shapeshifting, um, the story is even, one of the stories says that uh, Odin would lie under, under a blanket yeah. and uh, would fa- his soul would fare forth in the form of an animal. Okay. Very shamanic. Uh, very, sounding. very yeah. shamanic. And and Queen Gunhilda, there's one point in one of the sagas where her husband's enemies are um, in a tower plotting and they look out outside and they see this nightingale listening at the window. Okay. And they know it's Queen Gunhilda in her spirit form, in her animal form. Yeah. So Nightingale was obviously one of her one of yeah, her yeah. sort of helpers, yeah, yeah. as it were. Yeah. But there's there's a lot of other um uh Viking uh, leaders who were known to be able to shape shift. Okay. Particularly often into, if there were blokes, it was often into wolves. Right. Something manly. Yeah, something manly. <laughs> so, side is, is obviously a, a female tradition, a woman's tradition. It is and it isn't. Okay. Um, it, women were the, are the, the main practitioners of side in, in the sagas. Um, and indeed, they're the sort of practitioners of side who get, if you like, the most thumbs up from the, okay. um, you know, they're the most okay people. Right, so it was all right if you're a woman and you wanted to do that. Yeah, yeah. and you were doing it for your community and okay. then maybe it was okay. Right. Um, if you were a man, um, it wasn't okay to practice sayth. Um, in, in fact, it was um, considered very unmanly to do right. so. And, and it, there's a story that uh, Freya was the, the goddess who, who first knew Sage. Okay. And Freya is uh, one of the Vanir. She's one of the fertility goddesses. Or she is the fertility goddess. The goddess of love. Right. The goddess that's connected with, if you like, the raw, ecstatic power of nature. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, she taught uh, Sage to Odin. 
Okay, because obviously Odin is, is the king of the gods. The, the, the king of the, the gods, yeah. but he's a very shamanic deity. Okay. And he's shamanic because he practices sex. Yeah. And, uh, it, but it, it was okay for her to practice sex, but it wasn't really okay for Odin to do so. Okay. And there's a, there's a very nice scene in, in one of the, the sagas where um, Loki is having a bit of a contest with the other okay, gods, and he's insulting them. Loki, yeah, Loki's the, tr- sort of the trickster, trickster. Yeah. yeah. And he's insulting all the other gods, and he's saying, you know, just about as bad things as can be said about okay. it. And what he comes up with with Odin is, you know, I hear that you uh, practice Sade on Samsei, Samsei's an island. Right. And uh, I hear that you beat on a drum like a vulva. Right. And I think that, and he says, I think that's Ergi. And ergi means uh, perverted, and okay. it means perverted in the sense of uh, uh, effeminate. Okay. It, in the sense of uh, being involved in homosexuality from the recipient point of view. Okay. And that was really seriously not okay. No, it's Viking times. Macho, yeah, yeah. If you were a man, you had to be very macho. Yeah, yeah. So he's a real deviant for, for it's, doing yeah, it. It's yeah, it's like deviant. Yeah. And, and I think the reason for that is, you know, as I said, it... Says it's connected with Freya, it's connected with this raw nature power. And I'm sure a lot of us, when doing deep shamanic work, have connected with that very uh, raw uh, nature power. Yeah. You know, when, when the Native Americans say, like, be like a hollow bone, yes. let it just flow yeah. through you. Yeah. It's that power that you're letting flow yeah. through you, the power of the universe. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's an archetype, but I kind of can't imagine many Viking men kind of wanting to do that. No. You don't sort of see them... Surrendering. Not, yeah, quite, you know, sort of reeds in the wind, as it were. No. They don't bend, do they? So. No, no. And so it wasn't okay for men to do Having said that, there were a lot of side madra, as they were called, okay. around. And in fact... Uh, is, that, is that where we'd get the word master from, side master? Yes, it does right. mean side master. Okay, yeah. And uh, there, there were plenty of them around. And indeed, one of the kings of somewhere in Norway at one point, he killed 80 of them. Right, and as, threw as their a, bodies as in a the kind of clear-up job. Yeah, right. clear up. <laughs> and, and you know, like if in a, in a, in a, you know, in a community, there were eighty people. Yeah, you could find that many. Then you know, it can't have been that that rare no, for men to no, practice. No, 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 no. But it, it's like it wasn't okay, and I think that you know that's very different for men to practice in our culture. There's plenty of guys practicing sage okay, now. Okay, so I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, that was really the historical not, stereotype. You know, men, most men who practice shamanism are frankly not that worried about no. their sexuality. No. Um, you know, about sure. be, wanting to be super macho. Yeah. Um, so, so I think it's okay for us, you know, but it wasn't okay in those times. Mm. Okay, so. I'm getting the picture of uh, obviously back historically it was it was a woman's tradition, but but nowadays it's Viking. <laughs> now I, I picture I mean I know it's historically inaccurate, but I kind of picture uh, well almost almost you could go for the sort of Valkyrie type things here. I mean you're not wearing sort of you know horn no. helmets or well I'm certainly not. Okay. I'm wearing a pair of jeans and a t-shirt usually. <laughs> All right, um, so what would I see? I, I go to this stage ceremony. Yeah. Just like most traditions, there are kind of community forms, there are community rituals, and there are, if you like, individual practice. And I, what I'm going to talk about now is, I guess, the community form of sage. Okay. Yeah. So if you went as a participant, what would you know? You're you're living in a, in the the modern equivalent of a farm in Greenland, which I guess now is probably you know flat in London. Okay. You go along to um, some sort of shamanic gathering, and there's a sage happening. What what would you see? Um, you would see um, a uh, the vulva or seeress, and I'm going to use the vulva, the, the female form, because okay. it's easy to talk that way. 
um, sitting on a high seat. All of the, um, what I mean by a high seat is some sort of raised seating. Okay. Now, for some reason this seems to make a difference. And, and in all of the sagas they talk about this side hall, or, um, and, and it, it seems like it's some sort of raised up seating. Don't know what. And um, there are some descriptions that make it sound like it's some sort of fish drying rack, which sitting on a fish, fish drying, drying rack, rack, that sounds very strange it to does, me. It does, yeah. But if you imagine that, you know, somebody said to me the other day, well, if you imagine you're in a Viking long haul, yeah. um, and there's loads of, uh, you know, straw and animals and children and stuff around, yeah. maybe you want to be raised up above that, separated from it slightly. You would see a circle of singers. Mm. surrounding uh, the high seat. Okay. And in fact, in the sagas, uh, the uh, seeress or seer usually tra seem to travel with a group of singers. Right. Now, there's a description in, in the saga of Eric the Red of, of someone called Thorbjörg Lillivolva, Thorberg Littlevolva. Right. And she's the last of nine sisters who used to travel round together practicing side. And okay. you can imagine it, one of them would be on the high seat and the yeah, others would be singing. singing. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's this group of singers, and then there's a community that is being um, foretold for. Right. Um, and the vulva would be carrying as her main shamanic tool a staff. Mm. And, and that brings in, if you like, the three main elements of a side. You'd have the high seat, but as the main shamanic tools, you'd have the staff mm. um, and the song. And the, the staff, you know, there's lots of other traditions, shamanic traditions around the yeah, world that use staffs. Yeah. Often using two staffs, I think, like on the northwest coast, there's a, a tradition with, with of using two staffs together and banging them on the floor. This is northwest coast of America, yeah, so the Pacific coast. Yeah, yeah. Pacific yeah. coast has there's a tradition of using staffs. But um, here in, in Britain, there's also a, one of the hill figures. Yeah, I was going to mention that because I'm, I'm aware of that one. People often say it's maybe he was measuring, it's like, you know, kind of Neolithic surveyor or something. But yeah, but maybe he was, you know, doing yeah. shamanic work yeah, with yeah, his two, two staffs. staffs. Yeah. And uh, so there's the staff, and, and people have described the staff as being like a, you know, like a connection to the earth. Mm. When you're con doing this very wild, mm. connecting with this very wild nature energy, mm. You know, it's important to have some sort of connection okay, to, to be grounded. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the staff seems to be that for a lot of people. Right. Okay. Um, but then probably the other important element is the song. And uh, in in the sagas, it's very clear that the side couldn't be take place without the song. And they were specific songs, presumably. They were specific songs. Yeah. In uh, in this uh, Eric the Red saga, this uh, woman Thorbjörg, um she comes to this farm and nobody who lives on the farm knows the songs anymore. Right. Because it's right at the end of yeah, the period okay. where this is People happening. People are becoming Christian. And yeah, and the only woman who knows the songs is in fact one of the Christians. Okay. And she's very reluctant to sing. And yeah, she's persuaded imagine, because, yeah. because there's famine. And actually what they want her to foretell is when the hell is this famine going to end? Right. So uh, she's persuaded to, to sing this song and yeah. to teach it to the women yeah. in, in the community and they all sing it. And uh, the Devolder says, when you sang, the spirits drew near and listened. Right. You know, right. and they tell me that the famine is is to end soon. Okay. I'm I'm kind of aware of of the uh, Lakota Uwupi uh, ceremony tradition, where the where the, the shaman um, invites the spirits. It's not obviously quite the same in that they, they they don't quite talk through him in the same way, but but you have specific singers that. Uh, 
that sing specific songs and it doesn't happen it's like you know the, the songs kickstart the ceremony they're, yeah. they're, they're the kind of yeah. the powerhouse for it and I think that's certainly true in the side you know that that uh, with a good side song yeah uh, the, the the vulvas take off into the not ordinary reality you okay. know very very quickly okay now and I'm, and with a bad side song, it's like trying to you know push a car <laughs> uphill. It's okay. terrible. Okay. Now, uh, from from my own sort of knowledge of medieval music and stuff, that I, I know that there are uh, the words to some of the Viking Edda, but there's no surviving music. And there's there's a, a, a German group called Sequentia that have reconstructed some of the music and 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 they perform these. And I'll stick some of that music on at the end of this podcast, so people can have a taste of it. But Surely there's no side songs left. Well, that's, that's, that's kind of true, and, and um, it's kind of not true. Right. Um, one thing to say is that um, the sagas often talk about uh, the Volvas learning with Finns. With Finns? Finns. From uh, Finland? Finns, from Finland. Okay. And, and what they mean is they, le- they learn their magic from the Sami. Ah, right. And okay. obviously there's a lot of... Sami music that right. survives. Now, if we look at the descriptions of, of side music, they say often say that they can say that it was beautiful, but they okay. can also say it was wild, like the cries of wild birds, right? right. Uh, and that it was powerful. Right. And if you think about some of the yoik music, okay, because that's the Sami songs, isn't yeah, it? The yoik. It's very, very powerful and very, very um, wild. Yeah. And I think so. There's that. There's that tradition that we do have okay, surviving music okay. from. So there's Yoik, and then there's also these uh, uh, Scandinavian records of, of of the cries they use for animal herding, which are, you know, there's this description of, of side that is song that it's like the cries of wild birds, right. and these these animal cries are very like the song. Song, uh, sound of wild birds so okay. we do have that and then like any recovered shamanic tradition we can go back to the same sources yes, yes. that that our ancestors got yes, the same indeed. from because you know the rocks are the same the yeah. sky is the yeah. same the trees are the same the yeah. spirits are the same so you know we can go back to the original source of it yeah and I mean, get it had to come on. from somewhere in the first place exactly so, yeah yeah exactly. and presumably the volvers would, would sort of go out and, and kind of almost collect songs from the land as it were yeah. you know go out with a sort of butterfly net and grab them and <laughs> well i i presume so that they're um in the, another part of this side tradition is um a practice called utiseta okay and uh, utiseta means out sitting right um and you might think about sitting as a kind of mini form of vision quest okay the the practice was to go out and spend the night out uh, usually sitting on something, sometimes a rock, but most often in the sagas it's they, they sat out on a burial mounds. Right, okay. And the most powerful burial mounds to sit on were the burial mounds that contained bodies of dead, a dead right, seeress. Right, so they're really connecting with the ancestors. Yeah, yeah, so it seems like it's very ancestral. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in fact there's a uh, a saga, Baluspa, which is a, in which Odin goes to con- um, goes to and summons out of her burial mound the spirit of the first vulva, the right. vulva. Right. It's like visiting the first charm. Yeah, the very, which I, yeah, yeah. Which I think you know many of us have encountered yeah, in sure, our shamanic right practice. Back to, the, yeah, to the source, yeah. Yeah. So um, there's de- that's definitely uh, you know quite common, and I think they would have got their songs yeah. from from practices like. And I guess that also would have been an act of power. I mean, in shamanism, we have to kind of face our, our sort of uh, 
our little self that really you know doesn't want to get off the settee and you know I'm kind of thinking of things like the Tibetan practice of chod where you'd go to a a pretty gruesome sort of charnel ground mm. and you'd invite the the beasties to come yep. and eat you and you know this is scary stuff so I guess yeah. you know spending the night on a, on a tomb in that way is, is an act of power which yeah. in a way gives you the merit to get the song in yeah. the first place and in fact these these burial mounds of the city of Cirruses they weren't actually something you wanted to have right around okay they were considered to be powerful okay. um, places and in fact you know there's one of the stories somebody digs up <laughs> the body of a cirrus and moves it off their land right you know, and then reburies it with all kind of you know but honor just to get it off get their it off, land. but yeah, they don't yeah. want it on their land yeah, you know they, yeah, yeah. they don't want to have that yeah you know that yeah. powerful spirit hanging around yeah. their place i yeah, guess no i guess so and it's also it's a bit like some of the other sort of dreaming with the dead traditions i'm aware of uh, of a berber tradition from north america uh, north africa rather uh where villagers will go and sleep with the dead they have no. kind of like tombs which are almost like um uh ossuaries oh, you know cool. the, the, the the place where the bones are uh-huh. and, and and you'd go and sort of spend the night there and you dream of your ancestors mm, interesting. Uh, so i guess you know it's, there's some Same of that there of. too yeah very much and it probably i mean if you're going to spend stay up all night you probably are in a dream state absolutely you know, yeah at least partially so. At least, yeah. And particularly if you're in a sacred site like, yeah, a, like a burial mound. And sketchedless. And sketchedless, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I once spent a night in a burial mound in, uh, or Wayland Smithy, which is on oh, the right. Ridgeway in Britain. Yeah. And uh, in the middle of the night, some ordinary reality drunken people came oh, to no. visit me. And I think I scared them shitless. <laughs> Because I thought they were not ordinary when they first arrived, and thought, oh right, okay, and and then they were ordinary. And, um, you emerged I, out of the tomb <laughs> in the pitch black. <laughs> so still. Okay, so we've got this this priestess. What, what's she wearing? Just just basically. I mean, in our culture, it would be normal clothes, and I guess in well, in Viking culture, oh, it would have been normal clothes. In fact, too. in fact, the the only description we've got of her uh, of, of one of them's costume, which is from this uh, saga of Eric the Red, it very much talks about her wearing quite special clothes. She wears cat skin gloves. Right. Uh, cats were the sacred animal of Freya. Um, that's she's, that's she's, interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll just go off from there because I was watching a television program the other day that was talking about the River Mersey in mm-hmm. Britain um, and the fact that it was sacred to a cat goddess. Ah. Um, and uh, apparently there was uh, oh. th- there's there's rock carvings which go back two or three thousand years of cat-headed female figures. Oh, interesting. Um, interesting. So yeah, that cat thing. Sorry, I'm I'm kind of going off the track of it, but it, that just reminded me so much of that. It's very interesting that that Freya is a cat goddess. I didn't ah, realise that. Ah. So so she she's wearing cat skin gloves and she's wearing a blue cloak and and she's wearing a bag which contains her charms, the charms that she needed to do her work. Right. No more is said about them. Okay. But that could be, you know, runes. That could be a set of rune stones. Yeah, yeah. So they weren't really used in that quite that way in that time. We right. don't think they weren't written in the same way. Okay. Um, are there any archaeological remains at all? Yeah, there are actually. There's, there's, there is a burial, uh, or t- I think even two, that they found that contains um, a woman with staves and with bags full of exactly the same sort of stuff that you might find in your or my medicine bag. Really. You know. Uh, you know, bits of bone and stone okay, and yeah. things with things written on them and, you know, <laughs> incomprehensible We don't tat. change, do we? <laughs> we don't Thousands much. of years go past we don't, we don't change. Um, so, 
but one of the things about this tradition is, is you know, the, the community form of it is very much an oracular tradition. It's okay. usually an oracular That's tradition. An oracle. An yeah. oracle. Yeah. So pe people are, are foretelling the future. Okay. And the spirits generally, in, in say, seem to come to the uh, vulva and speak through her. Okay. So it's more of a mediumistic tradition. Right, so she's really just becoming a... Uh, it's like Voice. her spirit goes out of her body and, and the spirit of the, of the, that actually is giving the messages comes in. Not all, Sometimes, but not always. Okay. Sometimes, but not always. Right. Sometimes, you know, they experience that they're sitting there and their teacher is sitting next to them. Kind of like whispering in their ear. Yeah. Okay, yeah. right. Uh, and sometimes they journey, but it's more often the answers come to them and they go out right. to find the answers. right than in other shamanic practices that I've been involved in. So I guess, like many native ceremonies, somebody would host this, would probably invite the, the singer and the vulva to come mm. and do the ceremony, and, and they would kind of put on everything. They'd probably provide food, I guess, maybe yes. at the end of it. Yes. Um, and then that person, the host, would, would kind of come in front of the seer when the seer was in trance and, and awesome. say, when's the famine going to yeah. end? Or... Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly that. And in fact, this same story in Eric Resog, it goes into great detail about the meal that they prepared oh, right. for the vulva. Okay. They fed her the hearts of all the animals that, that lived on the stead. And, really? And it was important that she, she couldn't foretell until she spent the night there. Okay. And if you imagine, it's like she had to come in relationship with... The, the land spirits, spirits yeah. you know, yeah. the spirits of the place, uh, which makes sense if yeah. you think about it as being connected with this yeah, nature indeed. power. And, and eating the hearts is yeah. interesting yeah. too. And a question that I was thinking a, a little while ago, you were talking about the high seat as being possibly a fish rack. Yeah. And, and, and that got me thinking a little bit about whether fish, because they were so important as a food source, were sacred to the Viking. Now I don't know anything, no, about, I that. Don't know anything about that. But it, it's a little bit like you're you're sitting in a, a, a place of, of, of the food because that's the central thing. I mean we live in a society where food is not central. No. And we don't we don't realise that. I mean, no. you know, it's like we go and get something from Tesco's or, you know, the local supermarket mm. or whatever. But to a society that you know, it's really essential if the fish mm. are in the field. Mm. And in fact Quite a lot of the stories of this come from, are written down, a lot of the sagas are written down in Iceland. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or are written down about Greenland. And Greenland Iceland was in, one of the last places to become yeah, Christianized, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, and Greenland in particular is right on the edge of, of, of if you think, cultivatability. Yes. You, you know, farming is only just viable. Uh, yeah. And it's not, not always very viable at all. No. And, um, you know, I think these are some of the reasons that a lot of the sayers, if they're, there's oracular says, but there's also says where they're raising power to change something. Right. For example, to call the fish back to okay. the field. Right. Uh, and and in, indeed, in the Eric the Red Saga, she says that the famine will come to an end soon. Right. And you don't really know has she just foretold that or has she made it actually happen? done? It, yeah, quite. And uh, and I think this is to do with the fact that it's very connected to nature. So how would you do that in terms of it being a power side? You'd actually use the, the whole ceremony to kind of raise power and then with the intent of the seeress, or being. seer if it was a, a male yep. one, then, then he would kind of like focus it on that change work yeah. that was needed. Yeah, and right. then let it go if you like. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'd be like a kind of bow and arrow really, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's interesting about Greenland, because obviously Greenland's got its own shamanic tradition anyway, from mm. the Inuit people mm. there. Um, mm. 
Angolok or something they're called? I can't Angercock. Angercock, that's right, the, yeah. the, the Greenlandic shamans. And I wonder what the connection between the, the Vikings and the Angercock shamans were there. There's very little to do said about that. I mean, there's much more said about the fact that they, they, they learnt their magic from the Finns. Right. You know, you know yeah. she, they, she studied with two Finns or two Finns right. li- lived right. in the house, you know. Right. Uh, so there's much more said about the Sami yeah. people yeah. than about about the uh, Inuits, but you know I don't think they had a lot of uh, close contact. No, I guess Greenland was one of the last places to be contacted anyway from the Vikings, wasn't it? Mm. Because it's so far out, so they would have taken their tradition with them. I guess it's interesting too with with the Sami people because I always consider the Sami to be sort of the westernmost Siberian tribe. Um, I know it's kind of technically not correct, but to me they're almost a continuation of the whole sort of Siberian shamanic. Yeah, you know, they're kind of like the very edge of Arctic. it. Arctic. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's that sort of geographic area. So, I guess in a way that also connects the side into that, you know, tenuously, but it does connect it into that sort of whole Siberian yeah. shamanic and, tradition. And I think if you look at, at, at that whole Siberian shamanic tradition as being the same shamanic tradition in some ways that spreads into North America. Well, yeah, quite. Um, yeah. You know, I think a lot of what we've talked about today, Nick, does touch on, you know, there are a lot of similarities of size with some of the um, medicine practices, right. the outsitting. Right. Yes. Um, you know. Yes. Uh, the the sort of like use of, of, of magic, the magical tradition and the prayer tradition, yeah. which I think both part of the medicine, yeah. the medicine yeah. way. Um, so I think there are you know some real strong similarities. Absolutely. And and also you mentioned earlier the Uwipi. Yes. Um, another thing that that it talks about quite a lot is when when they do this faring forth in animal form. Right. Um, they're usually described as lying under their cloak or being covered with a bull's hide. Which, of course, is so much like the Europe yeah. where the medicine man yeah. is bound up in a star quilt yeah. and tied yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, so there are some, you know, I yeah. think real continuation, yeah, similarities yeah, across, yeah, across Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that must be but true. But I think that's probably because, you know, nature's the same yes. wherever you and go. And we're the same. And we're the same. Yeah. And there's only so many ways we can meet up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the spirits teach in you know, yeah. much the same way wherever. What does, what does the word sign actually mean? Do you know what the literal translation um, is? Well, it's an interesting question. And different people uh, would, would put it in different ways. My understanding is it's the same word as seething. Seething. You know, like seething with anger. Uh, yeah, right, okay. Bubbling, Bubbling. with anger. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, it also has, for me, that quality of um, Richard Katz's book, Boiling Energy, okay. with the uh, Bushmen in the Kalahari, oh, where they yes, do the healing yes, work, yes. that boiling energy. Yes, yes. And, the name and, of which I can't remember at the moment, but I know what you and mean. And for me, that is the, the energy of letting that power of nature flow yeah, through you. Yeah, Now, that, that's interesting, in, in, even to the roots of the word shaman. Um, as I understand it, I've heard various versions of what actually sh- the word shaman means, but one of them is to heat up, mm. and, uh, and the other is that it's a river of fire. Yeah. Which is that whole boiling... It's, it's energy, it's I guess. Energy. We're talking about energy. Energy. Yeah. Yeah. Or power. Yeah. Or... Yeah. It's energy, but energy to me makes it feel very impersonal. Okay. And it's a bit of a new agey sort of term. Yeah, yeah, kind of feel the uh, energy. <laughs> and power also makes has that sort of power over connotation. And it is the power of nature. Okay. It's, it's the nature-ness. It's the... Uh, yeah. 
know. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. And it's power coming through us. I mean, I, I always like the Native American idea of the hollow bone. Yeah. You get out of the way and it comes through you. And if yeah. you've got stuff in the bone, you're blocking it and it can't come through. Mm. And, and I guess that's intrinsic. I mean, otherwise, with with side, you you know, you could you could have a field day telling people what you wanted. If you you know, you could be quite manipulative potentially. But then I guess that that would be the same in any shamanic. I tradition, think that's true in any tradition. Yeah. I think you know, with with the side, when what you see sometimes with uh, people on the high seat when they're doing oracular work, often we get people to first of all answer a question for the community. Right. Because that's good to bring the circle to make sure that the circle of singers are all involved. Yeah. Um, but then we let the devolver answer qu- individual questions. Right. And uh, sometimes it's, we've 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 experimented with having three or even five people really? on the Really, not just the one person, right? No, it's it's very powerful with more than one because okay. you often seem to get different aspects of the same answer from okay. the three people. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And. Uh, um, it can be very good to have a range of different people on the high seat, but sometimes when you've got new people, you will see them gradually begin to run out of connection. Okay. okay. You, know, you yeah. can only stay in a trance state. Okay, it's like static on the line. Yeah. Is it? yeah. And 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 their answers gradually start to include things that the spirits wouldn't say. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it was interesting the other day. I was uh, at a side, and and there was couple of people on the high seat and one of them suddenly started using a lot of new ageisms okay that would and, be a bit of a giveaway and wouldn't it? you're like mm, the spirits don't talk like this right you know? yeah yeah and conversely you can have very powerful experiences of pe- you know where people give extremely direct answers right in uh, and extremely uh, tricksy answers right i can imagine the spirits could be quite brutal at times very brutal yeah very brutal. Yeah, I call a spade a spade. Yeah, you know, <laughs> particularly if the person's foolish enough to answer those yes or no questions. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. and I must—I I guess you must get some pretty dumb questions too. Yeah, you know, why are you asking me this? That's <laughs> okay, a, that's a stupid question. Don't ask they'll, me. They'll that. say things like that. Yeah, right. absolutely, okay. absolutely. Um, yeah, my person who taught me side uh, mostly is a woman called Annette Hurst, who's a, a Danish woman. Right. And, uh, she she always says never ask questions you don't want to know the answers uh, to. That's pretty wise. And I think that's a very wise saying for yeah. any shamanic yeah, work, but particularly right. for this yeah, side, because yeah. frankly, your own spirit teacher is more likely to be kind to you <laughs> than someone else's spirit well, teacher. Well, this is probably true. Yes. You know. Yes. Yes. So people in Britain, I guess in Europe too, they they can work with Annette. Yeah, Annette's teaching, um, she teaches uh, both in southern Sweden and in the UK. And okay. she's got workshops coming up in the next year in both. Okay. And, um, and she teaches, so from a very shamanic viewpoint. Yeah. She's a shamanic practitioner yeah. of many years standing. Yeah. So. Um, she's connected with Jonathan Horowitz. Yeah, yeah, she... Part of the same sort of team, as it were. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, she teaches it from, from a very shamanic yeah. place. Yeah. Um, the other people who are practicing side, particularly in the States, but a little bit in the UK, um, are a bunch are heathens, okay. i.e. pagan, right. Norse pagans. Right, right. Um, who teach it, as, who learn it as a shamanic practice that is associated with their religion. Okay. And... Um, there's a bunch called in in the states called Harafnar, which means raven. Right. Um, which are organised by a woman called Diana Paxson right. in uh, San Francisco. Okay. And she's also teaching. So Annette doesn't teach in the states. No, no. Right. 
No, I'm afraid. You'll have to invite me to come and teach in the States if you want somebody to come and teach over Okay, there. people in America, invite Karen. I can recommend that she's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And anything that people could read on the subject? Uh, there's a very good book by um, a woman who's both an anthropologist and a, pra- a SAVE practitioner. Oh, great, coming from um, both sides. Yeah, and, and she both talks about the, the academic yeah. sort of sources and yeah. about what it's like to decide. Yeah. Yeah. And she's called Jenny Blaine, and uh, her book's called The Nine Worlds of Side Magic. Okay, Nine Worlds of Side, side Magic. magic. Sounds good. That's probably the best thing around. Right. And uh, Unless you speak Danish, in which case Annetta Hust also has a book out. Okay. And we had an article in Sacred Hoop magazine from Annetta some years ago. Um, I can't remember on earth what issue number it was, but have a look on our website. And uh, on the back issues there, it'll be there. And if we haven't haven't got that back issue for sale, then most of them are actually online for free download. So there's a good chance that uh, if it's sold out, you can just grab it and and have a read Mm -hmm. of it. All right. Karen, thank you. That was really, really interesting. (laughs) You're very, very welcome. Thank you. Enjoy. So that was Karen talking about uh, side. And I hope you enjoyed it. I found it quite interesting. It would be really nice to have some more sort of interviews and things. And I I do need to do that more whenever I get the opportunity for the podcast. I was actually going to try and interview some other people at the conference, but I'm afraid I ran out of time. Uh, It was very, very busy, actually. They they worked us bloody hard. Breakfast at sort of 7.30 in the morning and straight into sessions and very little breaks. And oh, the strain of it, the strain of it. So, please contact me. I love your emails coming to me. My email address, nick at sacredhoop.org. Websites to visit, sacredhoop.org, which is obviously the magazine. And uh, you, the, uh, as I put in the other podcasts earlier on, there's still the special offer to get the uh, downloaded subscription, the e-subscription with a PDF sent which you can have for £7.50 instead of £10. Um, And I think the link is something like sacredhoop.org forward slash offer.html. It's something like that. I honestly can't remember it. I should have checked it before I started the podcast, shouldn't I? Oh, culpa mea. So um, I've talked about it on other podcasts in the past. So what you really have to do is... Go back into history and listen to all of them and then you can find the offer and then you can get a cheap subscription to the magazine. This is a cunning plan. And um, other websites. This website or this podcast's website is www.3worlds.co.uk and that's the number three, not the word three. That's also my gallery website where I've got lots and lots of antique shamanic and Tibetan ritual objects for sale. Um... Even if you don't buy the bits and pieces, go and have a look at them because there's some great stuff on there. I really enjoy collecting, you know, for me, half the fun, what more than half the fun actually, is actually just getting the goodies come to me um, and I get my mitts on all these wonderful antique objects. So uh, there's some interesting stuff there. So have a look, see if you if you like the bits and pieces as much as I do. My own personal website is nicholaswood.net, which uh, has got music and bits and pieces on it and... Um, all my craft work and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I've now got a MySpace page uh, with music. And the magazine's got one too, but there isn't very much on the magazine one yet. I need to kind of get it a bit more organised. But mine is uh, www.myspace.com 
forward slash Nicholas Breeze Wood. And some people have uh, asked me why my name has got Breeze in it. They, they, they seem to think it's some sort of medicine name. And in, in a strange way it is, because I've, I've really kind of always liked the wind as a child. It was very important to me. But actually, it's part of my proper name. Uh, it's my mother's maiden name and uh, was the name that uh, she wanted me to have as a child. Um, it's, uh, it's an anglicised Welsh name and since I moved to Wales a few years ago I have actually taken to using it more. Uh, it's anglicised for Apris and it, uh, it got changed in England over the centuries to Breeze. So that's why I'm Nicholas Breezewood. Anyway... Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed Karen rabbiting about the, the sign. I think it's pretty interesting stuff. And I must admit the, uh, the ceremony was very good. Um, if anybody in the States wants Karen to come and do a workshop, she wasn't actually joking when she talked about that. She travels to the States quite often and has uh, been part of the organising of several shamanic conferences and things. She's a very experienced practitioner. And uh, if you get in contact with me, nick at sacredhoop.org, I'll more than happily pass your emails to her. Um, she really knows her stuff. And uh, I've personally found the side ceremony or ritual, or however you want to say it, that she did really very, very interesting. And in fact, uh, Jan and I were arranging for her to come and uh, perhaps do a, a small sort of teaching weekend with a group of us in Pembrokeshire, all the way across on the west coast of Britain rather than Karen's east coast. We can travel about in these small islands, you know. We know how to live. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, and uh, I will try and get another podcast to you very soon. In the meantime, like I said in my interview with Karen, here is the German group Sequentia. They are a medieval band that uh, have done a, a variety of bits and pieces of music over the years, uh, mostly sort of... Um, around the 11th to about the 14th century. They specialise in that sort of high medieval period. They've done Hildegard of Bingen and Troubadour music and various other bits and bobs like that. This time, they're going further back in time, they have uh, used the instruments that the Viking world knew at the time and they have looked at, uh, from a very scholarly point, and I'm not quite sure how they've done it, but they have arrived at the sort of uh, musical system that the Vikings would have known, uh, the the modes, the sort of the set set of notes that the Vikings would have been quite familiar with. So, as near as anybody can guess, this is pretty authentic, probably slightly better produced, um, i.e., they're classically trained rather than coming from more of a folk tradition. But it's still pretty authentic Viking music. So I hope you enjoy it, and uh, this is. Uh, uh, one of the Edders from an album that they produced a few years ago, which I believe was actually called Edders. Uh, so, enjoy the music, and I'll speak to you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.